Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. This is Eco Money on Money FM 89.3 with me, Rachel Kelly. Hot off the press in the run-up to COP28, a new report from UN Climate Change finds that national climate action plans remain insufficient to limit global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius and meet the goal of the Paris Agreement. This is critical, and the report says that even with increased efforts by some countries, it shows that much more action is needed now to bend the world's emissions trajectory further downward and avoid the worst implications of climate change. Simon Steele, who's the Executive Secretary of UN Climate Change, says that the report shows that governments combined are taking baby steps to avert the climate crisis. Now, Steele also stressed that the conclusion of the first global stock take at COP28 is where nations can regain momentum to scale up their efforts across all areas and get on track with meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement. Now, the stock take is intended to inform the next round of climate action plans under the Paris Agreement to be put forward by 2025, paving the way for accelerated action. This means COP28 must be a clear turning point. Governments must not only agree that stronger climate actions will be taken, but also start showing exactly how to deliver them. The Global Stock Take report, released by UN Climate this year, clearly shows where progress is too slow. But it also lays out the vast array of tools and solutions put forward by countries to accelerate climate action. Billions of people expect to see their governments pick up this toolbox and put it to work. We need to rebuild trust in the Paris process, which means delivering on all commitments, particularly on finance, the great enabler of climate action, and ensuring that we're increasing resilience to climate impacts everywhere. This is a question of those that can doing absolutely everything possible they can to deliver their own transition and support the transition of others who have done less to cause this crisis. Crucially, the Paris Agreement was designed with a built-in ratchet mechanism. Governments should deliver in 2025 much stronger climate targets and economy-wide plans to achieve them. There is cause for optimism but only if governments come to Dubai with a laser focus on solutions. We can triple renewable energy. We can double energy efficiency. We can demonstrate the doubling of adaptation finance. And we can make the loss and damage fund a reality that helps deliver true climate justice. So why is this important? Well, the latest science from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change indicates that greenhouse gas emissions need to be cut by 43% by 2030, compared with 2019 levels. Now, this is critical to limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century and avoid the worst impacts of climate change, such as more frequent and severe droughts, heat waves, and rainfall. Also hot off the press, 
a second UN climate change report on long-term low-emission development strategies. It looked at countries' plans to transition to net zero emissions by or around mid-century. The report indicated that these countries' greenhouse gas emissions could be roughly 63% lower in 2050 in comparison to 2019 if all the long-term strategies are fully implemented on time. Earlier this week, KPMG released its 2023 Net Zero Readiness Report. The report highlighted that governments and industry must deliver transformative change on net zero, but are currently hamstrung by significant barriers, including global public debt, domestic tensions, increased opposition to decarbonization plans, and the need to guarantee energy supply. I spoke with Sherad Somani. He is the head of infrastructure for KPMG Asia Pacific and head of KPMG ESG at KPMG in Singapore. I started off by asking him how far we are on the road to net zero. What we have seen in the last two years that actually the carbon emission overall has gone up. And in fact, 2021 was same as 2019 and uh, 2022 uh, hit a new high. Now, this is inconsistent with our expectation that we will uh, reach uh, reduce our carbon emission by 50% by 2030 mm-hmm. and then 100% by 2050. Uh, so effectively, the answer to your question is yes, we are not necessarily going in the right direction. Uh, as they say, bending the curve has not happened. So carbon emission is still increasing. But what is interesting is uh, the quantum of investment that's going into clean energy technologies, renewable energy has actually increased by multiple times. In fact, the forecast is in 2023, uh, more than $1.8 trillion will be invested in renewable energy projects compared to only a trillion dollar in oil, gas and coal projects. Now, we must recognize that uh, fossil fuel are going to continue for some time because of security and affordability reason. But renewable energy is taking an important share. So yes, I think we are probably a bit behind. Uh, we have to fast track some of our initiatives, technology, innovations and investments to drive towards the net zero. I wouldn't say it is impossible uh, to achieve net zero by 2050, but yeah, next seven years will decide whether we can at all reach there or not. Your report also highlights that several of the world's largest emitters have also increased their net zero ambitions. Have they increased it by enough? Does more need to be done on that front? What's your take? No, I think there are a couple of things which are, Rachel, which are very encouraging. Mm-hmm. One is, of course, uh, most countries are now aligned on the net zero aspirations and the targets. So there is a lot more seriousness to re- do something irrespective of what kind of climate accord we reach. right? So there is an inherent commitment by most countries like US, China, Australia, Canada, Brazil, as we have highlighted uh, in our report as well. But what is interesting is also a number of countries have taken a regulatory and fiscal measures to drive adoption of clean energy. And the uh, and the Inflation uh, Act in, in the U.S. is a great example where $370 billion is being infused into the, uh, the renewable energy sector to pump prime the economy in terms of attracting more investments into renewable energy. A number of other countries have started to look at uh, climate change as not as a challenge, but potentially as a source of opportunity to create a new industry. And that is a great opportunity for a number of countries. In fact, uh, decarbonization of sectors and creating a carbon price are some of the critical measures, including uh, CBAM in in Europe, where the carbon border adjustment uh, tax would mean that a number of countries have to start looking at the carbon value chain. And instead of paying tax in Europe, is it possible to create a carbon market within their own countries 
is a good prompt for the supply chain all over the world. So overall, I would say that yes, the countries are doing the right things in terms of driving the agenda, and the fiscal policy regulatory uh, measures are actually helping drive this agenda. Many are talking about a financial gap when it comes to funding clean and renewable energy projects. You've mentioned that we are seeing more financing going into these projects, though. Are things moving at a fast enough pace? Is that financial gap starting to close? Yeah, let's look at this. Right, the reason why coal and uh, sorry, uh, the reason why uh, solar and wind took off is not because people were wanted to embrace green technologies. Mm. Uh, it was because they reached grid parity, meaning that the cost of generating electricity from solar and wind actually started to match what was the grid price of electricity, anyways. And hence, you have seen a number of emerging markets uh, in Southeast Asia, India, China have actually. Uh, increase the renewable energy capacity by a whole lot in the last few years. The real question is, we will hit a ceiling at around 20 to 25 percent uh, of total installed capacity being renewable energy, primarily because of the grid constraints, ability to handle intermittent sources of power like wind and solar will limit the ability of the grid to take more power than let's say 25 percent of the total installed capacity. The next step in terms of attracting investments would be into grid strengthening, storage solutions, and potentially looking at green hydrogen kind of technologies to drive that uh, penetration beyond that 25% levels. And for that, I agree. I think there is not as much investment coming in as we would like. And this is where I think the role of multilateral institutions, blended finance providers becomes very, very critical because some of these technologies are still suboptimal. Uh, they are not going to be commercially viable in the short term. But somebody will have to take a view and invest in these technologies so that over the next, in the medium term at least, we'll get these technologies mainstream like solar and wind. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully uh, storage technologies, battery technologies, green hydrogen will take on more and more share of the electricity uh, sector. Uh, and that is going to be an important aspect for our decarbonization and net zero journey. Sharat, moving away from renewable energies and looking now at the whole corporate sector um, and the role that that plays when it comes to net zero, in the US we've seen ESG backlash. Do you think yes. that we may see net zero backlash? Are you concerned about that? I think managing uh, net zero is going to be a critical part of government strategy. I think net zero cannot happen at the cost of development or job creation. And this is particularly important when people are looking for uh, demographic dividend, uh, creating job opportunities and growing the economy. So it cannot be this or that, right? It has to be both going together. I think the real challenge for policymakers is how to ensure that we are on track on our net zero journey while not compromising on the ability of the economy to generate new jobs. And this is where I think we have to come and leverage technology innovation, uh, financial innovation, and regulatory policy innovation and all these things three things have to work in tandem to essentially create an environment where the economies start looking at net zero as an opportunity to create new jobs new uh, investment opportunities rather than an impediment to existing uh, industries and this is going to be the big challenge for the next seven years till 2030. That was Sharad Samani, head of infrastructure for KPMG Asia Pacific and head of KPMG ESG at KPMG in Singapore. You've been listening to Eco Money on Money FM 89.3.